0: the we're going family style deal
1: because i want a bite of your big mac
2: and i need some of your quarter pound. i'll
0: try your filet of fish
2: there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer welcome to mission evolution radio show with guilda wiaka
0: Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share the latest information and leading-edge thoughts to support the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring Revitalizing Eden, the Evolution of Belief. In the face of infinite possibility, we create our beliefs living within the prison of their limitation. Never has it been more true than is now as we stand at the precipice a massive transformation globally and as individuals. What happens if we don't evolve with the changing times? Will we continue staggering around blindly, causing mayhem, unaware of our folly? Are even our physical bodies and their influence with all that is more intelligent, interactive and far-reaching than we think? What can we become physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually with a shift of perspective? Can our belief systems evolve freely, freeing us up to embrace our potential? For that matter, what is our potential? Our guest this hour is uniquely qualified to help us explore these questions. Bruce H. Lipton, cell biologist and lecturer, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University. He's a best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, author of The Honeymoon Effect, and with Steve Behrman, co-authored Spontaneous Evolution. Bruce received the 2009 prestigious Japanese Koi Peace Award, in honor of a scientific contribution to world harmony. His website, brucelipton.com. Bruce, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
3: I am so excited to be here with you, Gwilda. Thank you so very much because, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the planet is going through a very strange, chaotic period. But um, what's interesting, chaos is not random. Chaos has a pattern, and uh, we're we're evolving. And if you see the pattern, it's so much more beautiful than what we see in our current day-to-day world. So I'm looking forward to this great evolution we're in. I am too.
0: What impact do our beliefs have on our reality?
3: Well, what we have to recognize is this, that our belief system has been that human biology or life on this planet is, is a consequence of genetic programming and that we're just more or less uh, genetic automatons. Every organism has got genes that control the behavior, the structure, the emotions, etc., and, and this leads us to believe that we're just like these devices that show up in biology and live a life and then die and then go back into chemistry again. Uh, and in fact, it's is pretty much what I was teaching medical students to, back in 1970s and 80s, uh, a concept called genetic determinism, that uh, genes actually determine the character of our life. So we're pre-programmed at the moment of conception. This whole belief is just found out to be completely false <laughs> that we're not uh, controlled by genes. That it's just the opposite. That we, through our consciousness, regulate genetic activity. And I say, why is it relevant? Well, the conventional story we've all been programmed is that uh, genetic determinism—genes, you know, control this. Genes turn on and off, and and we're more or less victims of our heredity. Uh, and, and as victims, that we we believe we're really much more powerless in regard to our biology and our life experiences, that things happen to us as victims. Uh, A new biology recognized by science in 1990 and just coming into the public domain now is a new science called epigenetics. And as much as quantum physics came into the world and upset the Newtonian perception of the world based on matter and energy. And then quantum physics comes in and says, oh, the whole idea is completely different. It's all based on energy. Uh, and it transformed our world. I mean, we went from, uh, uh, you know, uh, cell phone. We went from a regular dial telephones years ago to cell phones now. And uh, and I said, this is quantum physics, rocket ships, quantum physics, all this stuff. Well, the profound change in our culture from going from Newtonian to quantum is now going to uh, again affect us. But this time, the, su- the switch is going from genetics to epigenetics. That's the same would you- parallel. Yes, darling.
0: Would you, would you mind, just, uh, for us, would you please tell us exactly what is epigenetics?
3: Absolutely, yes. Uh, <clears throat> genetics, as we mentioned, simply is that genes uh, uh, provide for the character, and genes turn on and off by themselves, and therefore genes program us. The new understanding is that genes are, are just blueprints. And as blueprints, they have no self-actualization, which means simply genes cannot turn themselves on and off. Genes don't regulate themselves. Genes have no control in this entire system. And I say, well, that's, that's a heck of a revolution coming from a world where everything was genetically controlled to a world of epigenetics where genes uh, are not self-actualizing, as I said, not controlling themselves. Uh, Epigenetics, uh, the word is very important. Uh, when, When I say genetic control, which is what almost everybody's been programmed with, genetic control simply means genes control, control by genes. The new science almost sounds exactly the same. It says epigenetic control. But the epi is this world shaking revolution for this reason. Epi means above. So, for example, what's the word for skin? Epidermis. Dermis is the layer just below the skin, and skin is epidermis above the dermis. That's what it means. So, I say, well, what is epigenetics? And I go, oh, when I say epigenetic control, it means control above the genes. Control epi above genes. And I go, what's above the genes that is controlling genes and it turns out our consciousness and I go wait our consciousness is regulating our gene activity and controlling the character of our lives I go absolutely I say, well wait that's important for this simple reason I can change my consciousness and if I change my consciousness, then I change my genetics. I go, absolutely hundred percent. And all of so a sudden I start, How yes. on
0: earth how on earth does this play in with we've got a lot of genetic diseases out there, people born with handicaps because of, of genetic stuff. Okay. How does that play in?
3: <laughs> well let's let's say now as we're starting to correct the nature of how genes work, the control is above the genes, the control is the mind. The mind working through the brain releases chemicals. To the, to the, into the blood, and the blood is the, uh, is the environment in which the cells live. Cells are like fish. Uh, the aquarium under our skin is, is the blood, and the blood uh, it carries nutrition and information. And the information that it carries can regulate the genes. So all of a sudden why, why this really becomes important is if I change my consciousness, I change the chemistry that comes from my brain, and the chemistry controls the behavior and the genetics. And I say, "Well, why is that relevant? Well, since I can change consciousness, then I'm not a victim. I am the master of my biology, not just my internal genetics uh, and my internal health and physiology, but I'm also creating through my consciousness, the outer life experience. And then again, it comes back to it and says, well, if it's consciousness and we uh, mediate our own consciousness and by absolute definition, we are creating our life experiences, both biologically inside and behaviorally outside. We're manifesting a life based on consciousness. And then you go, well, that sounds like new, new agey. That's very new agey. I go, no, it's not new agey. Matter of fact. In 1925, when quantum physics was introduced into the world, the first big premise of quantum physics was that our life experiences are strictly due to consciousness. That's what quantum physics is all about. It says consciousness is creating our world. Change consciousness, change the creativity. I go, why, wow, God, that was in, you know, 1920s. But now it's manifesting itself in biology because that consciousness is now connected to epigenetics. It provides a mechanism of what was referred to as mind-body and that was, oh, that's the topic of all new age people, mind-body, and I go, no, now mind-body is epigenetics. And all of so a if, sudden,
0: if we bring a science. This, if we bring this down to just, an, again, individual level, um, and if um, our consciousness is in control of this thing, what about babies that are born with a genetic defect? How, where does that come from then?
3: Okay, there are several sources of that possibility. Number one is um, the mother is a, a genetic engineer. Well, what does that mean? She's controlling the genetics of her fetus live time. She's engineering the gene readout of her fetus. I go, what does that mean? I say, well, look, environment controls genetic activity, that's epigenetics controlled by the environment. The mother uh, is nourishing the baby with her blood. Yes, sure, blood is carrying nutrition from her uh, circulatory system into the placenta, and the baby is being nourished by uh, that nutrition. The problem is, up to now, we thought fetal development was totally controlled by genes. So all the mother did was just provide the nutrition. The genes controlled the development, the unfolding, the expression and all that. And so it really reduced the mother's role to just being uh, a provider of nutrition. And that's all we looked at. Epigenetics comes in and says that the environment, information in the environment, uh, is controlling, activating and rewriting genes. And I go, wait a minute, the fetus lives in an environment. I go, yeah, it's floating in the placenta, which is uh, derived from the mother's blood. So I said, well, what's in the blood? I said, well, there's, of course, there's nutrition. But all of the emotional and regulatory chemistry that controls our biology, our physiology, uh, neurochemicals, hormones released by the brain and other organs uh, are floating in the blood and controlling uh, the genetics and behavior. So what's the consequence? And the consequence is simply this. Uh, We're
0: going going to have to pick up with the consequence on the
3: other side of a commercial break. Oh, I'm sorry. No problem.
0: Bruce and I will return shortly, so don't go away you're listening to the Mission Evolution radio show coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net <sighs> We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on XZBN.net where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. This is Mission Evolution radio show dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have to offer, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Bruce H. Lipton. His website... BruceLipton.com. Bruce, as I heard you talking about the environment of the mother and how it is more of a dictating factor than we thought, it, I can't help but go back to when, you know, in the old day, they say, well, don't braid your hair when you're pregnant or, or the, the cord will tie or don't expose yourself to this and don't expose yourself to that. And as we got into science, we decided, oh, that was just wife, you a know, wives' tale. It looks like there was more wisdom to some of that than what
3: we thought. Well, absolutely. Uh, uh, the whole idea is this. Our thoughts are turned into chemistry basically as simple as fact i uh, if i have a belief in love all of a sudden i see someone that and you know oh i love that person that image of love is translated by the brain into chemistry. The chemistry includes dopamine, which is pleasure. That's why we love being in love. It's like, oh, it feels so good to be in love. But it's also got oxytocin that's released when you're in love to bond you to the source of love. Vasopressin is a chemical released by the brain that makes you more attractive to keep your partner present longer. Uh, and growth hormone, <laughs> which is, does exactly what it says. So if I have a picture of love in my head, Then I release the chemistry that complements that picture pleasure, attractiveness, growth hormone, bonding. And I go, oh, that's really cool. And that adjusts my biology. The growth hormone is why when people fall in love, they're so healthy. Uh, You know, people talk about that healthy glow that love uh, provides, it's like, well, that's a chemistry that is translated uh, from the concept of love into chemistry by the brain and then affects the cells. And I say, well, yeah, that's really wonderful stuff. But I say, what if I have a picture of fear in my head, something that I'm afraid of? I go, well, that chemistry that was released by love is surely not going to be released. In fear, I release all different kinds of chemicals, such as stress hormones or factors that affect the immune system in a very negative way. And I say, where's the problem? I say, well, the chemistry that comes from fear actually shuts down growth and the immune system. And that's why people who live in chronic fear are always getting sick because they've interfered with their biology with what? The chemistry derived from a fear thought is chemistry that does not support health. Uh, And so basically uh, it says, oh, my goodness, as I change from thought A to thought B to thought C, I release different chemicals that complement that thought, be it a positive thought or a negative thought. And I say relevance back to the story of a child being carried by a mother in the womb. The mother is experiencing the world outside. She translates that experience into the chemistry and emotional chemicals, whether it's love or anger or whatever it is. This is chemicals. I go, why is it relevant? Because the fetus is using the same blood. So whatever chemistry is organizing the mother to respond to her world, adjust her biology to respond to her world, that chemistry passes into the placenta. And as it does so, it affects the, the genetic readout of her child. You might say, oh, that sounds kind of stupid. But it's sort of, no, it's very important just for a simple fact. If a, a child is being carried in, uh, in a woman uh, at a time of peace and love, then the wonderful things such as the growth hormone and all that go into the, to the placenta and also affect the child, pleasure, joy, growth you know the feeling of being loved is really great it enhances vitality but if the mother is living in an environment uh, which is very you know causing great fear war violence whatever it is and she releases those chemicals that that are preparing the body for fight or flight. That's what the the uh, stress hormones do, preparing for fight or flight. I say, well, what happens if the mother is experiencing a fearful situation as she's developing a baby? I said, the baby's getting uh, the hormones of fight and flight, not no hormones of love. I say, oh, that changes the genetics because now this child is going to develop into what a street fighter. I go, wow. We know-
0: yeah, you yeah. know, the other thing here, Bruce, is that also explains um, the genetically carried, seemingly, trauma from like the Holocaust or various things that, that entire races carry along is, it has, is it's been put into their genetics from the exterior and then it's carried there. So if we have a child that's been brought up in trauma, we've all gone through it, and that's been coded into our genetics. Now, how do we become empowered to shift that um, when we're no longer children and subject to? Uh,
3: Yeah, well, uh, let's go back to the difference between genetics and epigenetics. Genetics is the actual blueprint that makes a protein. That's the physical blueprint. Epigenetics is how I can modify the blueprint without changing the original blueprint. So uh, I could inherit a... uh, A negative gene and if I'm living in the same lifestyle that whatever my parents were that passed that gene to me then I'm gonna experience life just that they did Uh, but if I change my life then that gene will not be expressed that way epigenetics will change it to correspond to what I'm my new life is so in other words genetics is hardcore program that's it epigenetics is adjustment to the program it doesn't change the original program. It just change how that program is being read. So while a gene is a blueprint to make a protein, a building block of the body, uh, every gene blueprint can be, I, I can create like 3,000 different versions of proteins from the same blueprint. The blueprint is the gene code, but the variations are the environmental influences on adjusting the code. So it doesn't change the code, it just changes how the code is read. Uh, a simple analogy: You're watching a TV show. The image is being broadcast to you. That, that's like a, a program. Here it is. that's like a gene. It's coming to your television, and there's a picture on the screen. I go great, and I say, "Well, look, I can change the color, the contrast, the focus. I can change the parameters." And I say, "Well, I'm just changing it on the screen. I didn't change the original broadcast that was coming in." So the broadcast is like genetics. And adjusting the dials to fix the image the way you want to see it is epigenetics. I never change the original broadcast. I'm just changing the way it's being read. So if my parents had experiences that caused my gene to adjust to the way they're experiencing life, they pass that epigenetic program with me along with the gene. There's the gene and the program. The gene is going to stay the same, but in my world, I have the opportunity of changing the program. And since I can create over 3,000 different variations of proteins from the same blueprint, then imagine this, some of those proteins are really good and enhance my life, and I bet you a whole lot of those programs, and I not bet you, I know it's a fact, uh, can make a gene that actually takes away from the quality of life. So I can either enhance my gene or make that gene program even less uh, valuable, let, you know, more destructive by just the way I'm dealing with the world. So, what so, you know, so, like, yes, so, so
0: far we've been talking about how we change our viewpoint and shift things on the inside genetically. But does that go both ways? Can the change interface with the outside world, creating a slightly different reality? And if so, what's the mechanism that operates through?
3: Okay, well, let, we're still going to go back to the – where's the mechanism that controls the genes? Okay, I said, well, the thought's controlling the genes. Your response to the environment's controlling the genes. I said, well, okay, wait what is the interface the environment's going to alter my genes what's the interface I say my mind because my mind reads the environment and turns it into complementary chemistry so I go well that's really cool and I say yeah but you know what if I have a distortion uh, uh, of what I see in the world you know like uh, uh, I have bad vision (laughs) or bad perception I say oh Well, then you're going to read the world slightly differently than a person that can read it with good perception. But that difference will then also manifest a physical and behavioral change as well, because that remember when I see the world, whether I see it in the correct interpretation or a misperception, it doesn't make a difference to my cells. My cells don't see the real world. My cells only see my interpretation of the world. And that interpretation is turned into chemistry, which controls the genes. If I change my interpretation of the world, then I change my genetic activity. And, and, and this is where it becomes important, because then it says, what's my perception? Is this world safe? Well, some people say it's safe. Well, guess what? They have a, a chemistry in their body that encourages their growth and happiness. And many of us look at the world, oh my God, this is a very scary place. I'm threatened. Uh, I may not survive. I got fear. I go, oh, well, the chemistry that's going to come from that vision of the world is actually going to shut down your growth and compromise your immune system as you get ready for protection. And all of a sudden you realize, as I change my perception, I'm changing my genetic behavior. So then the control is perception. You go, well, yeah, that controls the genes. Yes, that's called epigenetics. But then I say, what else is my perception? Well, my perception shapes my behavior. (laughs) You know, if the environment is very supportive, uh, then I go into the world with my arms open and say, let's take it all in. Growth is opening up your arms, going to the resource, love, food, whatever it is, open and taking it in. That's growth. I say, what's protection? Oh, that's the complete opposite behavioral response. Why? Well, if I need to be protection, I'm not going to go to the stimulus that causes the protection. I'm going to go the complete opposite way. I'm afraid of that. And number two, am I going to be open armed when I, when I'm, you know, avoiding this negative thing? I say, no, you're going to close yourself down because closing yourself down is protection. So growth is open moving to a stimulus so any behavior that encourages growth is responding to the stimulus by having you go to the stimulus and be open to assimilate it in contrast if i perceive something as scary the behavior is not growth it's protection And what does that mean oh it goes the opposite direction and instead of being open closes itself down so I say, oh, my God, there's, you have totally two different behaviors. Growth is, is that moving toward being open and protection is moving away, being closed. And all of a sudden you start to see how I interpret a signal determines uh, whether I'm moving toward it or away from it, whether I'm taking it in or I'm blocking it out. And all of a sudden I say, well, that's an interpretation.
0: <laughs> well, we've got uh, a, a it's time for another short pause. Bruce and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the XZone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
2: Our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
1: You have heard of the Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more.
0: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing leading-edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and we're speaking with Bruce H. Lipton. His website is brucelipton.com. Bruce, I'm going to change gears a little bit here. Um, What is the Darwinian social consciousness you speak of?
3: Well, as we talked about, our perceptions of the world adjust our biology and adjust our behavior. And if we buy a perception, then by definition, we're going to obviously try to conform to live in harmony with that perception. And if it's a, a good perception, then we're going to have you know some good behavior and live in it. But if it's a perception that is destructive, we'll create a behavior without knowing that that behavior itself is going to be just self-destructive. So I said, "Why is this relevant?" And I said, "Well, first of all, let's understand uh, our belief, our current belief of how we got here. Now, that's different than the previous uh, civilization when the church ran civilization. Our, our belief was fully in the story of uh, Genesis, seven days of creation, uh, the whole that whole thing. We bought a story, and that's how what we believed and we lived a life that way. But after Charles Darwin, civilization changed." And science provided our origin story, and now science said that genes, as we talked about earlier, genes are passed from generation to generation, and they shape the character and the behavior of the individual. And then I say, so what does all this mean? Well, evolution means to get more fit, to be more capable of surviving. So because uh, if you're not evolving, you're devolving and that goes the other way. So I say, well, so what did we buy the story? And a story is a, a mistake, a story that's not even true, but shaped our current belief in civilization's evolution. And this is so important because it says our entire belief is based on a false understanding. And that false understanding came from a, a guy called Thomas Malthus. And Malthus uh, created a philosophy called pessimism. So you can see it already is a negative place. And pessimism was a philosophy that simply said this. If a farmer is growing food and animals, like growing uh, grain and animals, I say, yes. I say, well, what about it? I say, well, when he grows grain... And he gets a bushel this year, and if he works really hard, he can increase it to two bushels next year. And if he works really, really hard, he may be able to increase his production to three bushels the next year, and et cetera, one bushel at a time. So basically, that's called arithmetic. Uh, number of bushels per year, one, then two, then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, so that I'm increasing the, number, the yield. And I say, what about animals? And then Malthus comes up and says, oh, animals are different animals grow geometrically i say, what does that mean i say well first there are two animals and then they mate and then they create four animals and then four animals mate and they create eight animals and eight animals and 16 and all of a sudden i say wait the food is going up one bushel at a time one two three four five six seven eight animals are going up two four eight 16 32 it's doubling what was the point well if you were making a chart and plotting it you'd see at some point guess what The animals are reproducing faster than the food. And therefore, the evolution at that moment will be based on a struggle. Which animals were more capable of getting the food? They'll be the ones that will survive. The ones that won't compete in that by by necessary definition are going to die out. So I say, what's evolution based on? Darwinian theory uses Malthus theory and says... Life is a struggle for survival. Why is it struggle? There's not enough food and there's too many animals. And so you say, well, what do you have to do? You have to compete. And I say, well, who's going to win? Uh, the one that is most fit. So survival of the fittest in the struggle for existence became a philosophy that was a perception. I say, why is it relevant? Well, we take our perceptions and match our behaviors to the perception. I say, oh, yeah, look at the world. We're in a struggle of competition, fighting each other, goes to violence, turns into war because everyone believes there's not enough. And as a result, they're fighting and competing with each other. And it's actually very self-destructive. And that
0: that that perception created the issue. And it looks to me like that perception or the story or the, or the latest theory that's bought by the masses is what controls our genetics, is what controls everything. Yes. Who's got control of it now?
3: Well, the idea is we always have control of it as personal individual, but the question is where are you buying your belief if you buy it from the Darwinian people, then you go forward every day knowing there's a battle outside your door. The moment you go out there, you're going to struggle for your survival. And then guess what? Life is a struggle because you bought that belief. Now, since I'm the one that has a choice, what if I buy a different belief? And I go, like, which one? I go, well, like the understanding that a garden is not a battleground. A garden uh, is a community. And I go, there was a garden here before humans started to compete in that garden and in the process of our competition not only are we destroying ourselves but we are destroying the garden and that's where the problem comes from in today's world Uh, and the simple reality is this evolution is not primarily based on competition it's primarily based on cooperation as in a garden and when you look at the planet i say who's not cooperating on this planet the first thing is Humans are not cooperating because if we were living in harmony with the environment, then all the pollution and destruction of environment and all that stuff wouldn't be going on right now. We would be gardeners like Native Americans said we were. Uh, That was the original belief that uh, humans were gardeners in the garden. And then at some point we went past that to believe that, no, we are here to to dominate the garden. You know, Mm -hmm. we have dominion over it.
0: Yes. you say that the social con- this social consciousness has already perpetrated the planet's six mass extinctions. <laughs> when were the other five?
3: Oh, well, the last one was about 66 million years ago when a comet hit the Earth someplace near Mexico. And uh, remember, the, the, the world was, was flourishing at that time. Yeah, with what? Dinosaurs mainly. <laughs> uh, and I say, what happened? Well, the comet hit the Earth. And it upended the environment uh, and the dinosaurs uh, and, and what up to 90% of life forms died out because the environment was so altered it wouldn't support life. And then a new version of life created after the catastrophe, very shortly after, started a whole new one. And we're building up to this moment now. Uh, previous to the comet that killed the, the dinosaurs, there, there were four other mass extinctions, but they were related to things like tectonic plates moving, and the again, tectonic plates, earthquakes, volcanoes, all that kind of stuff changed the environment, and uh, when that activity started, there was already life, but the activity then decimated up to 90% of that life, and it started again, so five times uh, in the history, we've already been there. And, but and now
0: to, this time, we're looking at it being caused by human activity?
3: Right. This is what science has recognized, our disregard for the environment, our, our false belief that we are here to do whatever we want uh, and alter that environment in ways that are self-destructive. I mean, uh, unfortunately, there's Monsanto <laughs> there saying, this is how we should grow stuff. and It's like it's destroying the environment. Uh, we're fishing. We've overfished the, uh, the population of fish. They, they anticipate no fish on planet Earth 2048. That's 30 years from now. There will be no fish in the ocean. Why? Overfishing, pollution of the water, and destruction of the breeding grounds. Who did that? We did that. Uh, uh, and who killed all the animals? Well, all those people with guns went out there and killed all the animals. And, and what about the agriculture? Well, we're going to grow more hamburgers, so we're going to cut down the Amazon rainforest. It's like, What? <laughs> The forest isn't an accident. A forest is the respiration system of a planet. A forest cleans the air. And so here we are polluting the air and then cutting all the trees down. So who's causing the problem? Human civilization. And why is it important? It says, if you want to survive this catastrophic event, this is not hundreds of years from now. We're talking within this century. Human civilization will be so challenged that most of it will not survive. So what's it
0: going to take to avoid this sixth mass extinction?
3: Well, since human behavior uh, has taken us out of harmony with the planet, the simple, simple reality is if human behavior starts to become in harmony with the ecosystem, rather than being uh, the dominant control, you know, it's like, oh, well, we can grow all these trees here, cut down all the natural stuff, and we'll grow rubber trees, or we'll grow this tree. Okay? Wow, you're altering the environment. I remember when I went to school uh, in geography, uh, we learned about these the Great Lakes in Central Europe, call, uh, called the uh, Aral Sea, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea. And I remember because it was A B C: Aral Sea, Black Sea, Caspian Sea, and and I learned that in school. Guess what? The uh, Aral Sea doesn't exist anymore on this planet. (laughs) Well, it was a a big geographical marker on the surface of the planet, the Aral Sea. It is a desert. I go, why? And the answer is because humans diverted the water for agriculture in another desert, and the Aral Sea disappeared. Yeah, but the Aral Sea was feeding most of Europe fish. There's a big fishing fleet uh, uh, now sitting in the desert called the aral sea why the water disappeared who did that humans did that why well we can do any damn thing we like it's like no you can't <laughs> and the lessons are coming home so uh the idea of spraying roundup all over the planet uh to help some genetically uh modified plants well that was a really nice idea but guess what that Roundup is destroying the environment everywhere around it. The Roundup is altering the genetics of all the other plants and organisms. They use Roundup to kill the weeds. Guess what? Now the, there are super weeds that eat the Roundup. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Uh, we are altering the environment uh, with our limited knowledge, and it's time for uh, new knowledge.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement there. We're going to have to take another break before we start to explore that new knowledge. Bruce and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is Mission Evolution radio show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We will return to our discussion on the other side of this commercial break.
2: Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com.
0: The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion, a collection of obscure esoteric practices, a series of doomsday predictions, or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complementary publication, bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Weyeka. I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our special guest this hour is Bruce H. Lipton. His website, brucelipton.com. Bruce, it would appear that we need to re-enter the circle of life, as my Native American teacher would have, would have stated it. Um, and so what is the bi- biology, biology behind our interconnectedness with all organisms in the biosphere?
3: Well, what it turns out is that we'll go back to before life was here. And I'll say there was a gaseous environment, a mineral environment and all that. And then I say we introduced life. I say, what What was the first thing that changed? I say, well, the, the, envir- the gaseous environment changed. In fact, uh, beginning life... Uh, they were using carbon dioxide for respiration and they were giving off uh, uh, oxygen as a waste product. I said, what was the result of this early plant world where oxygen was waste product and carbon dioxide was nourishment? I say, well, it started out with a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but as the plants started to take over, oxygen concentration in the atmosphere started building up. That was the waste product. And I go, well, what was the result of that? I said, oh, it reached oxygen levels at uh, such high levels that lightning storms s- initiated fires. The, the planet was on fire because there was too much oxygen. Uh, and so he says, well, you can't have plants only because if they're only plants, you're going to use up all the carbon dioxide and then you know, infiltrate the atmosphere with all this oxygen. So guess what? You create animals. What do animals do? Oh, they breathe in oxygen, and release carbon dioxide. Oh, so if you put the two together, you can have balance again. I go. That's what evolution is all about. Organisms come into world, alter the balance in some form, and if the balance gets out of uh, out of hand, to out of balance too far, uh, it threatens everything. So what does nature do? Create another organism that comes in to create the balance again. If we have too many of one kind of uh, uh, animals. Uh, then nature will create a parasite. What's the function of a parasite? <laughs> Kick back that overpopulation again. And I say, uh, and what happens to the parasites when, when the population gets kicked back? And the answer is this. Oh, well, then they're not needed. And guess what? They can't grow either. So all of a sudden, the parasite population is regulated by now the population of the target. And all of a sudden, you see, every organism that is introduced to the environment is using the environment, altering the environment and taking it out of harmony. Then nature, when the environment gets too far out of harmony, creates another organism that comes in and returns it back to, our, uh, to harmony as best as, as, as it can. In that evolution process, the earliest organisms had, as individuals, small impact on it. So it took, you know tons and tons of bacteria to, to change the environment. But as you go up the evolutionary tree, you see that as every level of rung going up that, that tree, the organisms get more complex and more powerful. And when it comes down to the evolution of humans, uh, we end up being at that time the most powerful balance creators on the planet. We're supposed to be working in harmony with the planet. The point is failing to know that that's what evolution was all about, to keep the harmony, uh, then we have been upsetting the harmony without even knowing about it. I said, well, what's the consequence? I said... It's (laughs) It's self-destructive. <laughs> uh, uh, the mission wasn't to, to, to destroy the environment. The mission was to enhance the environment. Native Americans always talked about the fact that they were gardeners to keep the harmony in the garden. And yet Westerners come into this garden, trample the whole thing down, kill all the buffalo, kill all the beaver, cut all the redwood trees down. It's like, whoa, <laughs> they, they failed to understand that. That was part of the harmony, and now we're undermining it. So we are precipitating our own uh, extinction through these behavioral programs. The only way out is to say, wait, we must change the behavior of humans so that we start living in harmony with the environment, making a smaller footprint uh, uh, and trying to be supportive of the world in contrast to uh, the corporate vision of a world if you can get more take it uh it's like no no we have to come back into balance and cooperate with the environment we are the environment that's what people fail to get and i say because if you destroy the environment by definition you also destroy humanity and so if our, you yes. know
0: you have some interesting thoughts that i'd love to have you share while we have a little time left here about what part the cell wall plays in our interconnectedness with all things
3: well, very importantly, we're, we're, what, what knowledge do most of us have? Remember, the, the knowledge we have creates the filters that determine the behavior. And I say the knowledge that, that we have right now is that the nucleus of the cell where the genes are is the brain. And as the brain, the genes control our behavior. And we're just more or less victims of our genetic programming, which the, the big word is victim. Uh, the new science uh, says no. No. Uh, the brain of the cell isn't the nucleus. The nucleus is reproduction. <laughs> it has the blueprints to make the parts. And we gave the gonad of the cell, we, let's put it male scientists, <laughs> gave the gonad of the cell the equivalent of the brain. The brain and the gonad are saying, no, totally wrong. Uh, nucleus is not making <laughs> any action and determination. Nucleus just has the, uh, the repository of all the blueprints. The cell membrane, the skin of the cell, Uh, which is the parallel to the skin of the human, and they both are responsible for the same thing. The skin is the origin of the nervous system. And so we have been looking at the gonad as how the cell works, and it's like you've missed out the skin. I say, why is the skin important? Because the skin is reading the external environment and the internal environment simultaneously and the job of the skin is to adjust the behavior of the internal environment to complement what's going on in the external environment. And why is that relevant? Because then it says the brain of the cell is the membrane, and it's reading the environment, and how it reads the environment, uh, it adjusts the biology to complement what it perceives. And I go, well, that, that this is really cool. And I say, well, then evolution is not based on genes. That's what our conventional story, go a textbook right now, it'll say evolutionary tree from primitive to more complex organisms based on genetics. Well, that whole idea fell flat on its face with the Human Genome Project because the Human Genome Project expected to run something like a human being, you're going to have to have an excess of 100,000 genes to, to create this complex human biology. And it turns out when they were doing genomes, they started with simple organisms, and one of them is a laboratory model they use in behavior. It's a worm with 1,271 cells. Uh, it's, we have 50 trillion cells. The worm has 1,200 cells. Uh, I go, well, what's relevant about this? Well, uh, there are only 20,000 genes in that worm. Well, that makes sense. It's a simple primitive organism, uh, and as we go up the evolutionary tree, and more complex organisms are going to be more complex genes. So the first one was this worm, 1,200 cells, 20,000 genes, that's a baseline. The next organism they looked at was the fruit fly, Drosophila, because they use that in a lot of genetic behaviors. So they did the genome, oh my god, there were uh, between 15 and 16,000 genes. I go, why is that relevant? <laughs> The worm, more primitive, has 20,000 genes, and here's a fly with less genes. But they ignored that, and they said, just, let's just go to the human and count the genes in the human, because it's going to be over 100,000 genes. It comes down to 20,000 genes. The human Ooh. has the same number of genes as the worm. So do not plan an evolutionary tree using genes as the, uh, the, the essence of what evolution is all about. Why? We've got the same number of genes as the worm. It isn't the gene that is controlling evolution. It's the membrane, the surface area. And I go, why and you, is it you mentioned yeah.
0: You mentioned that that membrane, it's a two-way information street. So yes. not only does it read the environment and adjust internally accordingly, is it the facility through which we put our intent out into the world? Is that how we can change?
3: Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, in other words, if how do you stay alive? You have to be in, in harmony with the environment. Uh, so if the environment gets cold... How do I stay alive? Oh, well, then when the outside temperature is cold, my inside temperature gets warm. What? To bring it back to the same middle point, 98. And I go, well, what happens if it's warm out? Oh, then the function of my body is to cool my inside. To bring it what? Back to the same balance point. So our biology is always trying to balance what's going on in the outside world. And therefore, as we respond to the world, we change our biology And yet, if we misappropriately create our behavior by beliefs that are wrong, then by definition, we're adjusting our biology and our behavior completely out of alignment with the planet. And guess what? It's called a healthcare crisis. It's called uh, an environmental mass extinction crisis outside, healthcare crisis inside. We're not living in harmony. And we're killing ourselves and we're killing the planet. And, And when you go back to it, Then I say, oh, it's the membrane that's evolution uh, is controlling evolution. Uh, And and the whole idea about that is more membrane surface area, more consciousness. And I go, okay, a cell has a certain amount of membrane, but it can't get bigger than a certain size because the the cell would rupture like a balloon filled with water. The membrane isn't powerful enough to hold a, a large amount of cytoplasm. It would rupture. So it says, oh, you can only put so much membrane in an amoeba any more than that it's like a water balloon ready to burst well so this say, oh, this
0: yeah. this has been so engaging and i could go on forever but you know unfortunately oh. we're out of time bruce thank you so I'm much so for coming sorry. on the show
3: well i appreciate the opportunity and i just want people to know we are indeed moving through an evolutionary upheaval and the principle as we brought up in the very beginning is this to survive thank
0: you so much bruce our guest this hour has been bruce His website, brucelipton.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.